And we yeah. like Rush. We like uh, Triumph. Triumph. I mean, that's right. It, it's it's the power trio. And Brian Adams for for one tour was a power trio. If you remember, that's true. He was playing bass, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we like the power trios. It's a Canadian yep. thing. Absolutely. And, and Colorado's right. kind of Canadian. It's cold. Yeah. Hello, Boulder. How you doing? <laughs> Gonna do a Paul Stanley style. <laughs> All right, well, let's get right into it. Brand new records called Nightmare Daydream. Whole lot to talk about this. It's coming out this Friday. It's available for pre-order wherever music is sold. Make sure you get the quadruple, gatefold, incredibly, amazingly packaged vinyl and um, wherever you get music. Uh, welcome to the show. The Velveteers, everybody. There they are. Wow. Hey, Look at that. Bonjour, you. as we say in Montreal. Yeah. So talk about this. Well, first of all, I want to touch on the fact that you guys opened up for Guns N' Roses the other night, which is absolutely insanity. Uh, how did that happen? And did you guys ever think that, you know, sitting at home in your bedroom playing some guitars and drums, you're like, wow, would we be ever opening up for Guns N' Roses? Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a crazy experience. Um, I remember when I was little, I used to play Guitar Hero and Slash was always like, the, you'd always yeah. be on Screen. Um, and I remember, you know, playing some Guns N' Roses songs on Guitar Hero. And I don't think like I connected it until like after we played with them. But I was like, wow, that's like so crazy. Because we got to see Flash yeah. like face to face and like, you know, like fist bump with him. It was that's, super. That's super awesome. Did you guys actually like get the tang with them? Like did like Axel come into the dressing room like, hey, welcome to the, you know, good luck. Break a leg. Uh, don't break it like I did the other like, couple of tours ago. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we they were being very safe with COVID, like very cautious. Like we right. took a photo with Duff, but he stood like six feet behind us in the photo. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, but they were at least he, cool. Yeah, at least he wasn't standing behind plexiglass like Kiss does at their meet and greets. <laughs> let's let's be honest. Duff is from Seattle. He was going. I don't stand next to Denver people. Just you stand over there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's yeah. a it's a Seahawks Broncos thing. You you can't mix. You you can't. No, totally. <laughs> so, well, that's pretty cool. So, I, it's interesting. I mean, listening to this music and listening to the record, I mean, it's coming out this Friday, and obviously we got an advance of it. And I'm listening to it, and it's an incredibly full-sounding record. I mean, Dan obviously got some great performances out of you guys. And, I mean, how, how are you performing this stuff live? Are you, uh, like, is, is it just all you just stepping on pedals and hitting octaves and trying to, like, fill up the spectrum of sound? Or how, how are you planning on pulling this off live? Yeah, um, it's been a little bit of uh, a learning curve trying to get these songs to sound like the album. And I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Um, Johnny plays keyboard, so and he also plays drums and guitar and like every instrument. Um, so we've been filling in, you know, the bassier stuff with keyboard. And he is very good at multitasking and like playing the drums and you know, hitting a note on the keyboard and then doing harmonies and like hitting a note on guitar all at the same time. So mm. it, um, it's kind of like a balancing act of, uh, I don't know, figuring it all out. Right. Right. Because I mean, listening to the record of it, like I said, there's, there's so much stuff going on. It's just really cool. I mean, I, I'm hearing there's baritone guitar in there. I mean, I'm hearing there's like some programming samples happen. Like there's, I don't know if they're like drum machines, if you're actually programming them, like were you guys sitting there with like a Lindrum and like going old school with it or? <laughs> I mean, we have, uh, I have like an old drum machine from the eighties. So we'd record like the main live take of the track and then on parts where we wanted 
a little bit of a drum machine in there or something, we would just sync up, sync it up with the BPM and then add that in there. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it sounds incredibly live, the album. I mean, yeah. it sounds like live performances. It sounds like sitting behind the drum kit, hitting the snare. It's dead. Uh, the guitars sound wide and big. I, I was listening to one of the songs. I think it was, um, which song was it? I think it was like Beauty Queens. And I was like, oh, this would sound really good in app, like in an Applebee's commercial or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? Let's make some money. Yeah, but it's got that it's got that kind of sound, you know. Talk talk about the sound of the record a little bit because you know, you listen to certain bands like Greta Van Fleet, uh they sound very 70s. You listen to the Struts, they're very glammy and they're sound they're not afraid to have a little bit of a cannonball snare drum sound. Um you guys approached it a little bit more 70s-ish, a little bit more organic, a bit more dry, not much processing going on. Uh, talk about the direction of the album. That what was in your mind, and what did Dan bring to the table? I think when uh, we first started talking about making an album, one thing we really wanted is to not sound like a certain decade. Right. We want to kind of take all of our influences and kind of like wrap it all up into a ball of, you know, mixed genres and kind of make it into a sound that is more um, like right now, instead of just being like a throwback 70s band. We didn't really mm -hmm. want to do that. Um, Cause I just think that's such an easy thing to do, to just yeah. be like, I want to sound like the sixties or the seventies and you can just go do that. So we definitely wanted to have some more like futuristic sounds in there. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of like cool synth stuff on the album that we mm -hmm. added. That, um, yeah. I like because it kind of gives it like a Star Wars vibe-ish. <laughs> Let me ask you just real quick about the configuration of this band. And I'm sure everybody's asking you, but two drummers, no bass player, which proves the point that we don't really need them. Um, <laughs> right? But but talk to me about this two drummer thing because uh, one of my buddies is Dean Castronovo who's in Journey and they're doing the two drummer thing. And he's like, Mitch, you don't understand how difficult this is. We got to blah, blah, blah do you play sort of in sync or are the two drummers doing two different things at the same time to give more sound explain the two drummer thing the two drummer thing sometimes it's uh used to emphasize like um like if it's like kind of a simplistic drum beat like on uh, choking mm -hmm. two drummers can really just um give it more of a um playing the the same the same thing right and then it'll kind of uh go in a different direction where one person's still playing that same thing but the other drummer is playing something a little bit different so it's not something that you could just do with one drummer but it's, i think it's a balance between those things right and it's not like having like a percussion player in the band it's more like you know if somebody's keeping the groove going somebody could be playing you know like some extra hi-hats or extra groove some you know, maybe some like cowbell or something on right. the other kid or playing a tom you know jungle beat while the other one's keeping the groove going yeah. you know or yeah, I think when you listen to the record, um, I think half of the songs were recorded with double drums, and then the other half, Bonnie was doing another instrument. But on the songs that are with double drums, I don't think it instantly, you hear it, you don't instantly like think that there's two drums. Right. Mm -hmm. It's because we are really doubling down, like Johnny was saying, like on just making a simple drum beat as thick and as heavy as possible. So it just sounds like a really big drum. Like kit, and but, right. but we're like 
playing multiple drums at the same time, which just create this really cool sonic, like punch you in the face kind of sound. Yeah, and like, were, were, did you cut it live off the floor, to, like at the same time? Yeah. Okay, so you guys were really locked in then. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, let me just quickly ask you then about the formation of the band. When you when you get into a room and you go, hey, he's a drummer and he's a drummer, or they they're drummers. Do you do you look around and say, let's try to find a bass player, let's try to find a keyboard player, let's try, or did you just sort of right away know, okay, we're just gonna make this work because it's different. I think we're like, yeah, we want to make this work because I think right. with the three of us, just being the three of us, it kind of creates restrictions that help us be more creative. And one of the reasons we wanted to have double drummers is because we started out as a two piece. Right. And I had this idea in my head that was like, man, I really want to get like a loophole on the two piece band. Like, how can we do this? while still kind of keeping it a two piece, but adding in another element. And so the double drummers like popped up into my head and I was like, I haven't really seen double drummers with just one guitarist before. No, um, no. It definitely just, um, when we started doing it, it really felt like the right thing. Wow. Is that important in, in this sort of modern context to, you know, stand out from the pack is to do something different with a lineup rather than just have a traditional formation? Is that sort of, I don't want to say part of the marketing plan, but when you're trying to create music, do you sort of look at it and go, well, that's been done, that's been done, that's been done. Let's let's do this. Let's try to be original and creative. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think the fact that we have two drummers right. when we're at shows, like people will see that in the audience and they'll be really confused. Like, <laughs> why is there two drum kits? And so just <laughs> when they're watching and they're like questioning, why is this here? Like it's kind of drawing them into actually listening to us. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like an element that I think helps draw people in. And then creatively for us, I think it's just something we really love. And it really like opens a lot of doors for us creatively that otherwise we probably wouldn't have. You see, I, totally. I, being older, I look at it and go, oh, wow. They're doing Genesis. This is great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, well, talk about that a little bit. I mean, you know, you mentioned that when you were recording this record, you kind of wanted to take all your influences and put them all together into a ball and create the Velveteers. Who were some of those influences that you were drawing from? There's so many. Um, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. PJ um, Harvey. PJ Harvey. Oh, wow. She's great. I love PJ Harvey. She is uh, great. The Stooges. Did I say the Stooges? No. Wait, we're, we're, so where does that, because PJ Harvey was, uh, got mid-80s, early 90s. Uh, Stooges was definitely 60s, 70s. Yeah. Where, where does that influence come from? I mean, why are you not being influenced by the Black Keys or by Jordan Sparks or by uh, Jordan Sparks? Or, or Billie Eilish. I mean. Yeah. Oh, we love Billie Eilish. And she's we love great. the Black Keys. Um, and I think that's the other thing is we're inspired by a lot of like current music, like um, bands like Brockhampton and um, wow. let's see who else. Dua Lipa. Post Malone. Dua Lipa. We have to go with Dua Lipa. She's awesome. She yep. is awesome. Um, Britney Spears. Um, Damn. Honestly, any artist just has really good catchy music, whether what, no matter what decade they're from. There's this weird thing in rock where like a lot of people think your influences can only be strictly rock artists and specific oh, yeah. rock artists from 
the last like at least 20 years ago or 50 years ago but right. it's we, we just like music that's sounds cool and it's catchy and yeah well you know what it's i, I always call bullshit on that with these rock bands because they're like oh no you're only allowed to be influenced by the misfits or cheap trick or or aerosmith zeppelin. And it has to be led zeppelin it's zeppelin like stones you know but then you know you listen to def leppard and on hysteria i mean phil collin we were talking to phil a couple of weeks ago and he's like you know we, we were in the studio with mutt recording hysteria and we were taking all these influences uh, the frankie goes to hollywood and uh the police and uh, uh you know uh, the the arithmics they were using the, the drum machines and we were taking all of that and, and thriller putting it all together and to make the best record possible regardless of influences and i mean it's one of the biggest records of all time and you've got all of that smashed together in a ball and i, th I think that's you're, you're limiting yourself creatively if you're not going to mm -hmm. take and draw from the best to ever do it you know totally. yeah i think yeah it's a very limiting mindset to be like oh we're only gonna you know take inspiration from bands that are from this decade or this genre you know there's just so mm -hmm. many possibilities and different doors to open of amazing yeah. styles of music and yeah so so how do you all link up with dan from black keys to produce this project i mean it's it's he's kind of an out there producer in a way yeah <laughs> hey that was uh out of like all the scenarios in our heads when we imagined recording our first album we never like imagined dan producing it so it was really uh unexpected when we heard that he wanted to like hang out with us and that he was interested and liked our band we we're like well that's not at all what we envisioned but it felt really exciting and cool but yeah we just mm -hmm. got a his we got like a i guess i think the first thing we started noticing was a bunch of people on his label started look, following us on our social media and we we're like oh, what's going on and then our manager told us that he had like seen some videos of us or that someone at his label had shown him some videos of us playing music and that he really liked it and that he wanted to fly us out to nashville and just hang out wow yeah. that's kind of cool really yeah. and by the way i just followed you on twitter just to just to add that in there <laughs> very important um then moving forward you know once we get to a second and a third album do you want to expand that sound and and go into a pop genre or do a billy eilish kind of thing or do something else or do you want to be more like acdc where you create your sound and that's the one you're going to keep pushing for the next few years i think um it's hard to say i think we'll go wherever the music is going to take us okay and i think the beautiful thing about making a record is you don't really know what type of record you have until you're done making it. And uh, I think there's so many possibilities and different directions we could go in. So, but definitely no limits then. Yeah, no limits. Yeah. So, so if you're inspired to do a, a pop dance record, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. If it feels Perfect. like the right thing. Yeah. That's Perfect. Great. And I love the fact that Baby is credited as playing Gong on the record. So um, we need, de we definitely need more of that. More Gong. That's we're gonna have a song of just Gong. It's gonna be a meditative experience for the next record. Hey. You know, that'd be a great interlude to like a twelve-minute instrumental track or something. You know, listen, <laughs> we had the decade of Cowbell. Now we're going into the decade of Gong. It's perfectly understandable. Yeah. Hey, Solo. if Neil Peart can have a Gong or Tommy Lee. Alex Van Halen had the biggest gong on the 86 tour. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, there you it was go. like a four. It was a forty-two inch Peisty Superphonic uh, super, Mega Gong. Uh, hopefully someday we can afford our own gong that we can bring to our shows. But, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if you drop the other drum kit, that's less. That's you know more budget from all the mics you don't have to tr- bring with you anymore, and you can rent the gong. <laughs> I can run a drum machine back there. Uh, one drum. <laughs> um, like yeah, not happening. We need two kit. We need the two kits. So so how does the songs? How does a song come together for you then? Do you sit down with the instrumentation and say, okay, and then you get into the lyrics and stuff later? Or do you start the lyrics first? Is there is there a process? Do you have a secret formula? Or do you just sort of go, hit record and let's see what happens? It's always a little different. I had like two years, like the last two years, I would sit down every single day and force myself to just write songs. And some days I would write songs I would love and other days I would write songs that I just absolutely hated. Um, Many of which ended up on the album. Yeah. (laughs) But it usually starts like I'll come up with a demo and um, if I end up liking it, I'll show it to Baby and Johnny and then we'll kind of just go from there and um, turn it into something we really love. Yeah. But are you you sitting there, you know, with your guitar and you're, you're like just fooling around coming up with riffs or like like or is a melody coming to you like what's the what's the process i i kind of like to believe that there's like an either and the songs kind of just like come to me right um Mm -hmm. and i feel like in order to get to the place where you can be connected to that you sort of have to like force yourself to do it every day so i'll sit down and i'll just grab my guitar and i'll just start playing something and if something comes to me then i'll I'll take it and I'll run with it and I'll just write a song, even if it's not something I like. Mm-hmm. And other times it's like, I'm just playing guitar and a really cool riff comes and like um, Dark Horse, like I had that riff and that that vocal line and the melody for like, I think I had it for like three years and I just never really did anything with it. And then mm-hmm. one day I was just sitting down and I was like, oh, what was that? that riff I had and I played it and I was like, this needs to be on the record. And then Mm -hmm. from there we just built the song and um, yeah. Let me ask you this. uh, And I asked this for a lot of the new bands, what's sort of the game plan moving forward? What's sort of like the five year plan? Do do you say to yourself, well, we got to be able to get on club tours and, and arenas and, or is this a lifetime commitment? It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful. You're just going to be musicians for the rest of your lives. Or do you say, you know what? If we're not rocking it by 2027, it's off to the Walmart and let's get a cashier's job and let's get to it. I think it's definitely a lifetime commitment. Okay. Regardless of success, you're, you're, you're just going to keep at it. I oh, think each awesome. and every one of us are just very much in love with music and making art and uh I don't know. I don't really see a future where we wouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And the band, yeah. the band uh, has been a band for like seven years. Right. And almost all of those seven years, we uh, have had, uh, compared to the attention we've been getting the last couple of months, we've had none of that for the for seven years. You know, but we were just as dedicated as right. we are now. And it's amazing how one Guns N' Roses opening slot has changed everything. Yeah, it's definitely helped. <laughs> it, it, it it certainly helped. Um, so the so the game plan is just to keep going at it. Um, what's the next step then? 
Um, we've got a lot of tours coming up, um, some that aren't announced yet. And we're actually, we're on tour right now. We're home for like two days. These are our dates off. Um, but we're on the road with um, a band called Des Rocks right now. And we're going all around the country. Um, so yeah, we're doing that. And then hopefully once we get back, we'll just be able to write again and do all the creative stuff that we love. And so where did this love of music come from? I mean, for me, it's fairly simple. I grew up in a small town with no buses, no nothing, just raccoons and skunks. And I had nothing to do but listen to music. That, that was it. That was my entertainment. I had no other choice. There was no TV. There was nothing. Uh, where did yours come from? Your love of music. Uh, I feel like mine just came from my family. My family just loved music so much, so it just kind of just naturally absorbed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine was definitely an escape for me. My family also loved music, but I could, I just loved the feeling of putting on an album and like going in my closet and turning off all the lights and just closing my eyes. Just like listening to it and like absorbing the music. Just right, so, so what album are you listening to when you're sitting in that closet? What what were the like the top three or four where you just you know I mean I, I grew up and it was like, you know, Kiss Dynasty and Aerosmith Night in the Ruts and I mean those those were the ones. Wh which one got you into the closet? Uh <laughs> got me into the closet. Well <laughs> you know you know what I mean. Uh um I'm trying to think of the first one, but maybe just don't don't say Nirvana. Just don't no, say no. Nirvana. Yeah, <laughs> Banks by T Rex. Like the oh, first wow. one that closed my eyes. And probably in drum to and then also just wait listen to over and over. Mm. Wow. Good stuff. What about you, Demi? What was that one record that made you say, ah, I want to be a musician? Um, there was a local band called Rose Hill Drive. And um I remember when I first listened to them, it was just extremely magical and it made me want to pick up the guitar and start a rock band. So definitely um, Americana by Rose Hill Drive. And mine was Come On Over by Shania Twain. So we're all over the place in this. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, uh, Nightmare Daydream is available wherever music is sold this upcoming Friday. Make sure you go pick it up. And the Velveteers are just absolutely incredible. I mean, this record, once it gets out there, people are just going to fall in love with this. And yep. honestly, it's a, it's a fantastic collection of music. I mean, from, from Choking to Beauty Quiz, Devil's Radio. I, I like the entire D side of the record, I'll be honest with you. There's so many great songs on this. Um, are you guys going to be doing some music videos or maybe some live videos and stuff? Or what's the, what's the social media plan? Oh, yeah, we're going to do all that. Um, we have lots of music videos planned that we're going to be making while we're on tour and also when we come back. So can look forward to those. Awesome. 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 There you well, go. Great stuff. Great stuff with the Velveteers. It was so great to chat with all you. And, uh, man, best of luck with this record. Hopefully we'll get to see you uh, up here in the Great White North at, at some point uh, on some big mm -hmm. tour. You know, we'll all hang. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thank you guys so much. It was great talking to you both. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you. <laughs> All right, awesome. bye. Thanks, guys. Uh, cheers. Hey, before we go, uh, could you cut a quick ID just to say, uh, hey, you're watching the Jeremy White Show? <laughs>